After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, guys, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that for a limited time, all Mint Mobile wireless plans are 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly on to you. I haven't skipped a beat using Mint Mobile services. I have a great service even when I'm traveling for over less than 70% of what I was paying before. Listen to Uncle Chael and say bye-bye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills and unexpected overages. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans starting at 15 bucks a month. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash chael. That's mintmobile.com slash chael. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash chael. $45 upfront payment required. That's equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Guys, I'm really into things that add more convenience to my life. It's even better when it also comes with safety in a high-quality package. I'm talking about my Eufy Video Lock. I'm still loving this thing. I love this thing so much that I'd like to invest in the company. I am so impressed with this product that I'm willing to back it. And if anyone out there knows how I can do it, please reach out. You got to check it out for yourself. I'll probably do a quick social post, but for now, just search UV Video Lock. Do it online. It's a three-in-one smart lock, 2K camera with an audio and doorbell. It's easy to install. It has fingerprint recognition, so I don't even have to remember a code. I can control it all in an app, which again, the convenience is such a big plus for me. We are always on the go, and being able to monitor our home on the road is such a nice option. Not only that, I don't have to rush to the door if the doorbell rings. I can either open the door or ignore whoever's at the door by vetting them through the app. There is no monthly fees for security video storage. The battery is rechargeable, and each charge lasts about four months. This UV lock is fantastic, and I highly recommend it. Search Eufy Video Lock online. That's Eufy, E-U-F-Y Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com backslash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your front door. What's happening, guys? Happy Tuesday, and thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. Well, guys, the UFC is back in full force this weekend as UFC 280 is almost upon us. And coming up on today's show, I'm going to discuss the big fight between Charles Oliveira and Islam Makhlchev. Plus, what's going on between George Masvidal, Leon Edwards, and also some rumors about John Jones and Stipe squaring off in December. I'm going to get to all those stories later, but I want to begin here. All right, guys, I got to give you disclosure, okay? Right out of the gate, I came back from Vegas. Came back from Vegas this weekend, and I lost my voice. Do they call it laryngitis? Everyone used to talk too much, or maybe you screamed as a kid, but then you would lose your voice. This is the spot that I'm in, so I got to talk a little bit softer. If I try to up my tone, nothing comes out of my mouth. Very weird sensation if you've never had. I've been warned about laryngitis since I was a little kid. Apparently, I talked loud as a kid. I remember teachers and parents telling me, you keep shouting, you're going to lose your voice. Yeah, apparently that's a real thing. So I've got to lower my voice. I have a lozenge in my mouth. So it obstructs anything that you're hearing. I just want to disclose to you guys what's going on. Now check this out. Errol Hawani 
Volkanovsky. Now, I've been so impressed with Volkanovsky, sometimes I struggle to find words big enough to pay this man the compliments that I feel he needs. With that said, Volkanovsky has a humbleness to him. He just does. I have a feeling if you're Volk's friends, he's the exact same guy now with a pocket full of money and a whole bunch of fame as he was before he ever stepped in the octagon. I have that feeling. One guy that makes Volk interesting. And he's not boring. He's not dull. I'm not going that far. But he doesn't always come out. He doesn't always have that bravado. He's not always brash enough. Sometimes when he says stuff, we don't know if he's locked in and he means this or it's just an idea he's considering. Errol Hawani can get things out of Volkanovsky, can get him in a comfort level and in a zone like nobody else. I watched Ariel and Volkanovsky almost a year ago do a cooking segment. I have no idea where that came from, what the backstory was. It was awesome. But Ariel just spoke to Volk again about the backup position. Where are we at? And don't forget on this backup position, guys. Benny Darush came out and said, that's mine. Volk said, I want it. The Ultimate Fighting Championship said nothing. So we were all kind of left, right? There, there was room. It would be out of character for Volk, but there was room in our deductions and our own detective work that Volk was not the backup fighter, that he was just saying it, that he was just getting headlines. That's not the way he operates, but we had to consider that. Okay, Volk's given a real good clarity on this. Said his hand was in a cast eight weeks ago. Now, we remember the reports that the media was doing to Volk talking about a hand injury. It was to the extent that the media wanted to interim the 145-pound belt between Rodriguez and Emmett. No clarification from Volk. Volk never said, I need a night off. We did this to him, and it turned out where there was smoke, there was a little bit of fire. He had his hand worked on. Great. That's a distant memory. When you work as hard as Volkanovsky works, if you have eight weeks full bore, and he does, that is behind him, it's a distant memory. He is as good, if not better, as the last time you saw him in there with Max Holloway. Now, Volk is saying that his team and himself, and they're boarded up and they're headed to fight Island. They might even be there. I actually rewound this part of the interview two or three times, and I was a little bit unclear. But I am willing to go as far as to tell you Volk is the backup fighter. What does that mean? Because again, I know what we think it means, but we also thought Volk going in and having a hand surgery meant that he wasn't going to return. Meant that we should find somebody else to fight for his belt, figure out what we're going to do in, in, in the meantime. Every time we try to guess, guys, we get it wrong. Nate Diaz is going to exhaust his contract to the UFC because he's got a big fight waiting for him with Jake Paul. We really don't know, do we? We a lot of times think we do, though. Now, what does backup fighter mean? All of us, myself included, would have told you a week ago that if anybody can't fight between Charles or Islam, and moreover and more likely, if anybody misses weight between Charles and Islam, Volk's in. I'm not positive I buy that. I think there's a real importance to getting Islam and Charles and getting that business behind us. I really do think that. And I think it affects a lot more than just a match that we want to see, a potential title opportunity is the current plan right now. I think it also affects the lineage and the legacy of Khabib. It is that important that we get resolution between Islam and Charles. Now, we could do it another night, sure. But why would we? They're here, they're trained, they're prepared. Cameras go live in 24 hours. Why would we do that? And you may have an answer because a guy missed weight. Well, how much did he miss by? Does an opponent have a problem with that? What if they both miss weight? Do we just walk Volk out there and there's no fight? I, mean, I realize I'm being silly. I'm just sharing for you. I'm not fully convinced that Islam versus Charles and preserving that match is worth the cost and the expense of putting anybody else in there. Fine. Fine. Just chail thinking out loud. I don't have resolution to that. Ariel asked Volk an interesting question. Ariel said, Volk, if you're going up to 55 and they've told you you're good enough to be the backup spot, 
Is that them telling you that you're next? Is that them telling you that you won't be at 145 pounds in your next ma match? You will be at 155, and if so, are you only a 55-pounder now? And Volk said no. Those promises have not been made. That is not my full understanding. I do not know if my next match will be at 45 or 55. Now, Volk's saying a lot in that, even if he's not trying. Volk is letting us know he didn't change his physiology. He didn't go and try to bulk up to be a 55-pounder. He's just going to go fight 55. He's not holding up anything at 45. He's not even guaranteeing that he's not going to go and report at 45. And it's not as though too much time has gone by between Volk's last fight. I mean, the way that you measure that is real simple. Volk's opponent in his last match. Has that guy had a match yet? In this case, it's Max Holloway. Has Max had a match yet? Is Max even scheduled for a match? If he hasn't and Volk hasn't, great, nothing's being held up. Did Emmett or Rodriguez get matches booked? No. One of them is the likely number one contender. So nothing is being holed up. This is just in addition to. Volk is going to go out to Fight Island in addition to whatever else they like to see him do. I think if Volk would have really dug in here, I think that Ariel was setting him up in a beautiful way. I think if Volk's answer would have been different, we, the viewer, would have got behind it very quickly and made sure that his next fight was against the winner of Islam and Charles, but Volk didn't want to do it that way. And moreover, guys, why is Volk getting this opportunity? Why didn't they just grab Benny? Benny's there. Benny's got the ranking. Why fly Volk in? Why make him go through a training camp? Why pay him? Why do all of these things? Answer is real simple. The number one cultural policy of the UFC. If you guys ever have dreams and you're coming up and you want to interim over there or you want to apply or you want to work in the UFC someday, the number one cultural policy of that organization is do say. You do Whatever you say you're going to do, that is the number one cultural belief from Dana on down. Dana went to a press conference. Somebody asked him about Volk going to 55. Dana said, and I quote, he can do whatever he wants. I don't think Dana meant that. I don't think that was Dana's plan. I don't think that was sincere. I don't think he knew that question was coming. He said it. And he honored it. And Volk said what he wanted to do was to be the backup fighter, be on Fight Island, and fill in if they need him. Boom. That's the position he found. Islam Makhlchev does not belong in a world title fight. Islam Makhlchev is not the number one contender. Islam Makhlchev is not ranked high enough to qualify for. Islam Makhlchev, more than anything, does not deserve it because he didn't have high enough of competition. Now, is anything I just said true? And if you think it is, could you prove it? The guy is 16 and one. Have you ever heard, okay, if we're asking Islam questions, let me ask you a couple more. Have you ever heard Islam, including through the media, complaining about something? Have you ever heard Islam demanding something? Have you ever heard of Islam renegotiating something? Have you ever heard Islam do anything other than specifically what he was asked to do? And I've got to tell you, I don't know how much I love the concept of he didn't fight hard enough guys. There are not easy guys in the UFC. Just so you understand, this isn't where you go to learn how to fight. This is go once you're proven. You don't know who you're going to draw into. And particularly early on, the guy that you do draw into doesn't know what he drew into because he doesn't know you any more, uh, better than you knew him. There's only been a couple of guys, I could count them on one hand, easily, probably three fingers, but only a couple of guys where Dana White has ever come out and openly said, I'm going to bring him up slow. I have a plan. Dana said that about Conor McGregor. Now, that happened. Conor was given some very easy fights, some very favorable fights, we thought. In hindsight, one of those easy fights was a young man out of Louisiana named Dustin Poirier. Another one of those easy fights for Conor McGregor was an undercard bout with a 20-year-old kid named Max Holloway. So nobody's career has gotten better with time. Nobody's career has been more of a fine wine than that of Conor McGregor. 
Isn't it a little early for us to say that about Islam? I'm only asking the question. 16 and 1. 17 training camps, 17 weight cuts, 17 airplanes, 17 hand wraps, 17 times you walk through that curtain and you got it right, 16. Is it possible to say that these weren't hard enough? Whose spot would you rather be in? Because nobody's questioning Charles and whether he belongs there. Nobody's questioning if his matches were hard enough. Jimmy Christmas, his matches were so hard he lost eight of them. He's in the conversation for the greatest ever, and he belongs there. I've never heard a, a top list. I mean, people have removed BJ Penn from it. That's almost blasphemy, but they have. The top list is Khabib, Charles, and you have a few in the society saying Charles Khabib. I really think that has to be proven this weekend. But even if Charles gets the jump on Islam, he still has eight losses. Now, that doesn't appear to be a problem for anybody, and I'll share with you it's not for me either. When it's iron on top of iron and you're fighting the absolute best guys, I don't expect you to win them all, particularly over the course of a decade, which is how long Charles has been here. But how could you tell me that you'd rather have Charles's record? You'd rather have those eight losses than that of Islam. How can you tell me Charles being ranked number one in Islam number three? Boy, that's close. There's a big difference in one and three. Don't think that I don't understand that, but can we agree those are both fantastic rankings? People are saying that Islam didn't beat the appropriate competition. I've seen all of Islam's fights. And quite frankly, I only know two guys that he fought. I, I watched them all. But so maybe that strengthens the argument that he wasn't in there with the right guys. But I do remember he fought a good friend of mine named Dan Hooker. And I know that Dan Hooker was ranked number five in the world. And I know that Dan Hooker, at least according to one licensed judge, beat Dustin Poirier. I know Bobby Green is as physically and mentally as hard of a draw as anybody in the UFC. If you are as good of a fighter as Bobby Green, you don't have to get any better. You could be the champion. You will make a whole bunch of money. And I know both of those fights accumulatively, cumulatively did not equal one round. How many top guys do you got to beat? I mean, it seems like a very hard bar. It seems like something very hard that we're judging Islam by. When I got in the UFC, guy, guys, was 2005. Now, in 2005, it was a very different time. 2005, there was 11 events that year, but that was massively more. We, we either had five or six events every year from 2001 on up. Something called the Ultimate Fighter came around, changed our industry. We got to 11 events. From 11 events to 22 events to what you guys know now. High 40s, low 50s, almost every week. But when I came over, any weight class that you were, if you won three in a row, you were likely fighting for a title. There was not very many guys who did win three in a row and then did not fight for a title. It's just known within the industry. You beat a killer guy your first time out, great job. You beat an okay guy, great job. You do it again, great guy, killer guy, okay guy, great. You do it a third time, you're fighting for the belt. So it was just a very different time. And now it seems, I mean, I'm looking at Islam, who's won 16 in a row. That's not correct, is it? See, because Islam lost his first fight, he got knocked out. But then if you look a little closer, it wasn't his first fight ever, it was his first fight within the UFC. So feel free to correct me. But it's still been a number of years. It's been in main event spots. It's been against anybody they ask him to compete with. And Islam did something one time. But it changed the way I look at Islam. And it told me everything I have to know about him. Which is Islam was said to be going to fight for the world championship. Something happened. Something happened where they needed Islam and he said no. He didn't do it. So all of a sudden he's not going to fight for the championship. He's going to fight Benny Darush instead. Fine. But Islam didn't complain. He didn't even argue. He didn't really appear that he cared. But that changed things for me. Because now I'm dealing with a competitor. First and foremost. Can I beat you or can you beat me? And whatever the risk, I'm willing to go out and find out because I want to know the answer. I love guys like that. I have not seen Islam's demeanor change now that he's fighting for a world championship. I just haven't seen it. 
I haven't seen Islam's demeanor change knowing that on less than 24 hours notice, he might just be in there. With Charles, he might be in there with a pound-for-pound great. I just haven't seen him care. So when you talk about who he fought, if this wasn't his doing, if a lot of those type guys were called an offer, right? Imagine if they did this to Chemayev, and many have tried. We know how good Chemayev is. We know. But there was a period of time where you could pretend that he wasn't. There was a period of time where we could pretend he didn't have the hard competition. Now we're finding all the hard competition, ducking him, avoiding him, and the guys that he does get in there with, he gets rid of quick. Why are we so accepting of how great Jemayev is, but we're not as accepting of where Islam is? 5-0 is a very impressive record in the UFC. 16-1 overall. Very impressive record. Sport of mixed martial arts. Aren't we being just a little bit tough on Islam Makhlchev? Who's the greatest professional wrestler of all time? Now, if any of you thought about techniques and skills and her and Karanas and jump off the top rope, you're going in the wrong direction. Who's the greatest professional wrestler of all time? The answer to that question is Hulk Hogan. Why would Hulk Hogan, who only had a right hand and a boot to the face, be the greatest pro wrestler as opposed to Rey Mysterio? Why? Because he made the most money. That's why. A very simple answer. Who is the best actor in Hollywood? And before you think you have to tell me a thespian like Gary Olson or Daniel Day-Lewis, how about you tell me about who made the most money? Don't you talk to me about Mark Wahlberg, Denzel Washington, the two most reliable guys. Whoever the best actor is, is whoever made the most money. Can we agree on that? And can we see why that would be true? It's true in everything else. If I ask you who the best author is, you guys don't say Shakespeare. But Shakespeare also, who is the greatest in the history of recorded words, he didn't live at the dot-com boom. He wasn't around for Amazon. He didn't make the most money. What would you rather be in your profession? The best or would you rather be the highest paid? If you were the highest paid, wouldn't you also think by virtue that made you the best? I bring this to you. Michael Bisping was talking about if Charles beats Islam, that Charles be recognized as the greatest light heavyweight ever. Lightweight. Ever. Now, Charles is currently sitting in position number two. Somehow, Charles and Khabib have just erased the career of BJ Penn. Okay. They've erased the career of Jens Pulver. Okay. Okay. Today's guys are better than yesterday's guys. But I'm just sharing with you that's in the debate right now. Now, the narrative with Charles going into fight Islam is that if Charles wins, Charles gets recognized as the greatest ever. That's true. That's a belief in our industry. And it was co-signed by one of the great voices in our industry, Michael Bisping, last night. Simultaneous with that storm. Simultaneous. While at the same time, a mutually exclusive term, which makes it impossible, comes in that Islam doesn't deserve the shot. Islam should not even be in there. Islam is the wrong guy. How can you beat the wrong guy and be recognized as the greatest ever? Now, it's numbers that don't lie. I have to bring you that. And that was a final point of Michael Bisping. He said, you can't deny the numbers. I think Michael's right. And I won't attempt to deny the numbers. I will see your numbers and I will accept them. I will then raise you a couple different ones. There's been one athlete in this sports history that had a stadium built for him. One. There's been one athlete in this sports history that had two sitting presidents of two different countries come into attendance to watch him. Just one. You want to talk about numbers, I'll see your number and I'll raise you 29 and O. So when people want to talk about who's the best, I think there's a few ways to look at that. 
And we never really have the talk on who the best is. We, ne we never really do that. Who was the best? We, ne we never do that. We start to look at resumes. What when you're looking at resumes and what when you're looking at numbers is more important than commas and zeros at the end of the day? If you could be Ray Mysterio, if you could be Dean Malenko, if you could be Brett the Hitman Hart, these wonderful technicians, or you could be headlining every WrestleMania that happened in your career with the biggest paycheck at the end of the night called Hulk Hogan, whose career would you rather have? Because I assume if I'm going to ask you between two athletes, between two actors, between two doctors, between two lawyers, if I was to ask you between two professionals of the same industry, whose career you would rather have, you're going to choose the best. You're going to choose the most successful. But you're also going to do that when they're the highest paid. To make believe that we've had any athlete above Khabib when they built an arena for the guy. They built an arena. It was dirt in the ground. They built an arena just to house him. Two presidents, one night, 29. Oh, I don't think you guys understand what, what, what Khabib was being paid when Khabib left. I can't tell you. I won't. I won't tell you. Guaranteed just to get in the ring. I won't, I, I won't reveal that. If you put that against the highest paid guy of all time, which is Brock Lesnar, who left with 5.5 million. If you put that in front of the highest paid guy next to Brock Lesnar, largely because he was buddies with the boss, Chuck Liddell at 4.5. To get Khabib in the ring. Win, lose, or draw. So when you're talking about numbers, those also matter. Now, I, I do not hate the argument of Charles. I actually see it. I do see it. Charles and Khabib are not from different eras. That is the single most important thing that you understand as a jumping off point if you're going to compare these two. They were from the same era, and they never fought. Big deal. Big, big deal right there. They have two common opponents. Charles beat one of them two and a half minutes faster than Khabib, and he had the, beat the other one 61 seconds faster than Khabib. Those numbers also matter. I'm happy to have the debate. But if you think this is about knee bars or submissions, if you think this is about fight of the nights or the times that your hand got raised or about times that Bruce Buffer said and your winner is, you're going to have to look at 29-0 and 0 and explain that to me. Your guy's better. How come he's not 29 and 0? You're going to have to look at a guarantee to come through the curtain. A guarantee for one athlete who wasn't a heavyweight to walk through the curtain. You're going to have to talk about the multiple presidents that have shown up. I mean, you're going to have to. There's other numbers out there. There's other things at play. If I was to ask you who was better between two guys, and I went further and said, your son, I have a magic wand. And your son is going to emulate and mimic the career of. I would have to assume whichever one you chose, you truly believe to be better. And right now, better and the best aren't even close. 29 and O. So last week, the rematch between Prohaska and Teixeira was made official. But over the weekend, some news came out that might make it not the biggest fight on the card at UFC 282. 2016, guys, I never talk politics with you. I never talk politics, and quite frankly, I never will. I don't want to lose half of you. But there was something that happened in 2016. There was a governor named Mitt Romney. Mitt Romney had an opportunity to help a businessman named Donald Trump. He used that opportunity to try to harm Donald Trump, and he did this publicly. When the election was done, the businessman was left standing, and Mitt Romney wants a job known as Secretary of State. The businessman has Mitt Romney come out, meets him at the White House, and makes sure the camera's there to pick this up. Has a full meeting, listens to Mitt's presentation. Then comes to the world, the businessman does, and tells everybody how badly Mitt wants this job. 
Businessman has Mick come out for a second interview, brought the cameras in, filmed the whole thing. Don't know what happened, it's behind closed doors. Mitt exits stage left. Businessman comes out and tells everybody that Mitt really wants this job. And a week later, gave the job to somebody else. Now, set that aside. Just have that and just, just push it right onto the side. Because my good friend Errol Hawani is reporting for the fourth time that on December 10th, the last pay-per-view of the year, John Jones and Stipe Miocic are being looked for as the main event. John Jones is all for it. He's come out publicly. He wants it. He's ready to go. What do you guys think? <laughs> I mean, do you think that fight's going to happen? Jones versus Stipe. The fight of 2022, the number one fight that anybody wanted to see reasonably into 2022, the second we found out Francis was not coming back, until he worked out a contract or exhausted it by December, the number one fight that's had 11 pay-per-views to be put on is now being discussed to headline a card less than two months away that already has a world title fight on it. I mean, what do you want to do? Do you want to see the lessons of the story I just presented for you between a governor and a businessman from 2016? Do you want do you want to observe what's happening here? Or do you want to believe that, yes, they're going to make this fight, the fight that everybody wanted to see, they're going to make it on short notice on a card that already has a world championship main event. And they're going to put it all together in less than two months. Maybe. Quite possibly. But you're still being given a message. Just how bad do they hate the rematch between Glover and Prohaska? Glover and Prohaska represents the single greatest fight that light heavyweight ever saw. I've made that claim many times, and nobody's disagreed with me. They've mentioned other great ones. By example, Jones versus Gustafson, which I will also agree. Gustafson versus Cormier, which I will also agree. But we're at least saying the same things. That it was just an absolutely phenomenal fight. That there's a lot riding on it. And that we do have a champion. And we do clearly have the next best thing. And that's what we try to do in here. That's what we try to do with the number one contender. Let's get those guys together. And we have. So now, apparently we hate that fight so much that we want to demote it. We do not want that on the top of our bill for the final event. We want to pull it down. That could be true. It could be. Why would it be? What, what is the miss there? Everybody loves Glover. And we've never had an older guy in sport at the top level of sport where that story didn't work. Guys, I could go back to the Olympics in 2004 and I could tell you all about a young lady named Dara Torres. I don't know a ton about swimming. I know I'm faster than those swimmers. But I don't know a lot about it. I don't know how she finished. I think she did very well. I know she was on multiple Olympic teams. I know she was questioned and challenged and passed them all and did a great job. And I'm going back 20 years to find that example. But I could go back to a quarterback named Favre. Favre was a really good quarterback, but above everything else, he was an, I, I, inspirational to the entire country because we're getting reminded the world does not belong to 18 to 25-year-olds as we're told every day. Like this story has never not worked. Dan Henderson at 47 years old fighting Michael Bisping in his last fight for a world championship. Randy Couture capturing a world championship at 44 years old. Like, there's never a time that that doesn't work. You guys love Glover. You've always loved Glover. All right, so we got that box checks. What's going on with Prohaska? Prohaska, talk about checking boxes. He does the same thing. The guy looks just phenomenal. He's got the hair thing, simple gimmick, but he does it. He talks about the samurai spirit. Whenever he does interviews, he's very nice. He's very pleasant. He's fun to watch, not to mention he's got a very different style. I mean, he throws punches from very weird angles and generates a tremendous amount of power. So we saw in the Glover fight, he never gives up. He can come from behind. He could deal with adversity. He checks these boxes. What is it about that fight that not only you guys are resisting? What is it you're resisting? Why are you not clamoring for that? Now, all big fights and all great fights that really change our industry, 
will, of course, have the good guy versus the bad guy. Two good guys, great match. Great match, good solid night of business. It's not going to be discussed three and four and ten years from now. Isn't going to be and never has been. Floyd Mayweather did everything he could to become the bad guy against Manny Pacquiao. And he had it. Floyd did his part. Pacquiao, while being a good guy, didn't come out and do any good guy stuff. He put a little boyish smile in a suit that fit pretty well. It just doesn't work. That's a fight that the boxing world wanted to see for 10 years and the boxing world has forgotten even happened. I'm just sharing for you. These big fights do need something. Perloskin Glover doesn't have it. You have two good guys. When you pick who you're going to cheer for, the other side of that coin is you've now nominated who you're going to pick against. Hard to do. Hard to do. Who wouldn't want to see Glover succeed? And who wouldn't want to see the run of this young samurai, Prohaska? Is that what it is? Is that why there's a resistance? Because it's not just by you guys. We're now being told by the greatest media voice in the sport, Errol Hawani, that the promotion in the industry itself is thinking about pulling those guys off the marquee. And I truly do wonder why. What happened here? Prohaska and Glover is the kind of fight, part one, is the kind of fight that immediately at the press conference gets remade. Now, that's only happened a handful of times. I believe six. I believe six times in history we've gone to a press conference and made a fight before we even talked to the guys. Before we even got the reports from the doctors and the commissions. It's pretty rare. But that was the kind of fight, absolutely, that would be made. The most recent fight to be made at the press conference would be moreno Figueredo Part 2. After the first one ended in a draw, boom, we're making that fight. And the media even challenged him. Well, you don't know if a guy's hurt. You don't know what the doctors say. You don't know what the commissions say. Dana said, then we'll wait. Whatever, whatever I hear, whatever comes back, we are going to wait and we're going to remake that fight. I just bring that to you as an example. I don't know what this match is missing. I don't know what the people that see the numbers and the confidence that they have, I, I don't know what more could be missing. I could bring to you what I just did, which is it's good guy versus good guys. Two guys that you'd like to see succeed which hurts from a level of anticipation, but boy, as far as a great fight goes, with the right two guys, the most worthy guys, this was the match to make. And now we're being told that Jones and Stipe might come in over the top of it, steal the day. And we're being told that that's what Jones really wants. And we were told that the governor would have done anything to be the secretary of state. All right, guys, you got to bear with me over here, okay? I'm sitting here. I got a lozenge in my throat. I feel like I'm getting a horse. I got to talk to you guys down just a little bit. And I just made a piece about a rumored fight between Stipe and John Jones for the year-end card. It's going to go down to December 10th called UFC 282. Now, I came to you from a perspective of why would you possibly dangle the idea that that fight might be happening? I attempted to answer that question. But I also have an overarching view that that fight is not going to happen at UFC 282. If it was to happen, we're going to really need to sit down and analyze. Now, I'm going back, guys. I just, I just made this piece if you guys are going in order. But if I may recap the timeline, if you make that fight, you were given a very clear message. You, you couldn't say it any clearer. And you couldn't scream it any louder from a higher rooftop and a better bullhorn that you were not satisfied with Prohaska Teixeira 2. Now, I'm well aware in this industry, we are going to fiercely adhere to the rules that we make up on the spot. I am aware of that. But at one point it was stated, if you're going to have a title fight, if you have a title fight on the card, that title fight will be the main event. Unless there's another title fight, then whoever is heavier will go last. That policy was followed for a period of time, and I realize that that's kind of been pushed aside, but we're also not confronted with it very often. If you were to do an interim title fight over a world title fight of Undisputed, 
you're going to have some explaining to do. It's going to be small. People aren't going to care. It's not going to affect business, but it is going to be a question of how do we get to that spot. So if we're going to do Jones and he's going to fight with Stipe, is it for the interim title? Because the big question would be, how do you do it last? It's an interim title fight. No champion is walking through the curtain. How do you walk them out after a world champion? And moreover, why do we think it's for the interim belt? Because, see, this is the other side to this story. That for some reason is questions that nobody's asked. Why would those two fight for the interim belt? Francis Ngannou's contract is up in December. I don't know the date, but let's just call it. It's even. Right? This is mid-December. His contract's up somewhere in December. We're even. If Francis is coming back, if we have that worked out, why would we interim his belt? He's been injured. He had the right to not compete. Put the contract, put that aside. He's been injured. He had the right to not compete. So why would we interim his belt? If he's coming back, there's no need for an interim belt. But now you have a bigger confusion which is you're going to have a great fight, a big fight, a massive fight, and you're going to headline it over a title fight, and there's no belt up for grabs at all. Or you know which way this is going to go with Francis, and you make it for the undisputed belt. That could happen. But all of these things have to be looked at. All of these things are being looked at. This isn't just a matter of, hey, Stipe, how you feeling? Hey, John, how you feeling? Great, book them next. There's a lot of things that go and work here. Stipe is going to fight Jones. What are they fighting for? If they're going to be a main event, and they are, there has to be a belt up. If it's the same month that we're going to have resolution with Francis, and we interim the belt, then us, the audience, should interpret that as Francis is coming back. If Francis is not coming back, then it should be for the undisputed title. Do you understand the point here? Because let's say Francis is coming back and you interim the title. Why are you interiming his belt? And where did that go? And why would you take the risk? Stipe versus Francis is a massive fight. No question. True trilogy. Stipe putting on 20 pounds, man, that's a fascinating match for sure. It's not the same. Jones versus Francis is currently the biggest match you could make in this industry. And if you have both guys in the same weight at the same time, and you go and you take the risk of interfering with that, is that a move you guys would do? If it's your decision and you could put the biggest match of the industry, any promotion, anywhere, talk about co-promote, talk about the boxers, talk about all these different guys. You've got them both. You've got them in the same division. You've got them willing. You've got them ready. But you're going to take the risk of interrupting it? I think it's hard to believe. I think it's, it's, a, it's a monumental step in the wrong direction to hedge a better of belief that Stipe versus Jones are going to fight in December. I have been wrong before. Sort of. I, one time I thought I was wrong. It turned out I was right. That's what I was wrong about. I thought that I had it wrong. Turned out I didn't. But I don't feel that you have to put on your Columbo rain jacket. I don't think you got to get a uh, jury of 12 that weren't smart enough to get out of duty. I don't think you got to bring in Perry Mason to find out that there is some kind of a game being played here. Jones and Stipe aren't going to fight in December. And if Jones and Stipe can't fight by December, they don't need to fight at all unless we lose Francis. If we don't lose Francis, we're going to break that up. Francis is going to be the kingpin. Francis is going to take on Jones. The other one draws into Stipe. This is very obvious. I really shouldn't have had to have broken this down. I'm a little surprised, quite frankly, that people have reported it. But we could all be glad that you have me to use logic to set the record straight. To close out today's show, Leon Edwards won the welterweight belt in August, but we still don't have a clear picture of who he will defend the title against next year. Will George Masvidal be the one to get the title shot? Let's discuss. George Masvidal is a real topic of conversation. George 
is doing something very, very well, which is he's keeping his name out there and he's attempting to line with Leon for a world title fight. Now, tactically, he's setting himself up to look like a fool. I understand that. But with great risk comes great reward, right? You can't have both. We end up having a UFC that fell apart. Nate Diaz versus Chemayev and whatever that was at the press conference, the scale fail, the switch up, Chemayev not being in the main event, not being at 170 pounds, just for example. And it does not go away, the three-piece in a soda. That great marketing and this fight that's been on your mind for years, it does not go away. George was not overly interested in Leon at the time. At the night of three-piece in a soda, yeah, boom, you could make it right away. Those guys were in a very similar spot, which is they're two tough guys that are being respected, they're being looked at. But George's star went meteoric. Leon wasn't bringing a lot to the table except a really big risk and a hard night. And George, like anybody, is going to look at the options that he has and take the one that's best for him. And you saw that happen. And that ate up a few years. George, rightfully so now, is coming back and saying, hey, three-piece in a soda, why don't we do it? Oh, by the way, oh, it's a main event? Oh, that'd be a pay-per-view? Oh, the world championship's on the line? Jeez, I hardly noticed. I mean, right, George did everything right. He was right to do that. But where are you guys at with George? And it's not on that fight. I understand that you would need hook or crook to get that fight together. But those things happen in our sport. And I would not begrudge George if he was to bet at all. And take that risk. I really want it. Even if we do, Kamara and Leon, part three, take it over to England, all the stuff that we're expecting. It would be very wise if you predicted that's the direction it's going to go. But even if we were to do that, things happen. Volkanovsky is in Fight Island right now to compete at a weight class he's never competed in and to put it all on the line. And he trained and worked on it, got his coaches there and got his diet. I mean, he has done everything right. Those things happen. If that's the direction George wanted to, do, to go, I don't believe that George would be a backup fighter. I believe they would use somebody else in that role because the chance of seeing George and Kamar again just isn't worth the risk. However, a short notice fighters, that's very different. 20 days, 15 days, 11 days before the fight, George steps in. I don't know George's personal finances well enough, but I don't believe that George versus Nate Diaz in a sold-out Madison Square Garden was the greatest night of business that George had. I think it was in a room full of nobody fighting for a world championship on Fight Island against Kamara Usman on short notice. I think that that's the night that changed George's life. Now, I ask you guys where you're at with George Mosbrough, because that's what matters. If you like the gimmick and you like the character, you're going to like whatever he does. George Mosbrough is a bad guy. He likes it. He dresses the part. He does certain things and gives certain interviews to stay in the character of the bad guy. Is that the problem? I've had people suggest it to me. Now, I'm retired and I'm out. So we'll never actually know. I'll never actually try it. But I had very strong creative advisors come to me and say, switch it and go be the good guy. I didn't like that and I resisted it. I don't want to be the good guy. I don't enjoy that. That isn't fun for me. I don't need to hear a bunch of cheers. I need to hear a bunch of boos. Boos are a heels cheers. That's how I know that I'm doing my job. Also, in all fairness, it was very easy to be the top draw as a bad guy because nobody else wanted to do it. Nobody wanted to play in that end of the pool. Boom, I had the whole thing to myself. However, one of the great developers of storytelling, gimmicks, and characters is Vince McMahon. And Vince McMahon maintains that a character and a gimmick must be tweaked every 14 months. I don't know what his math was and how he got to that deduction, but it's the business that he's in. So if he wants to go and do a final analysis and just hand us the answer, I think that we're going to listen. And even if you tweak it, even if you just change something, it must be changed every 14 months. And nobody has been a big drawing heel that at some point didn't go to be a big drawing face. Nobody was a face that then didn't, didn't switch to heel. Not that it was a big draw. Certain guys had careers and their careers were unconsequential and they stayed on the main car, they stayed on the undercar, they could play the same character. Okay. 
Is that what Georgia's problem is? I don't know. I, I, I don't know. But, but there is a miss. Because three-piece Minnesota was very real, and this was a topic that was very real, and was a match that could not be made because George was too big of a star, and George is now saying, I'll do the match. I can't fault George. I can't fault anything he's doing, but as I observe it, there's something here that's off. What is it? What's missing? Is it that he's staying heel? Is it the bad guy now needs a favor? Bad guys don't need favors. Bad guys don't say please. Bad guys don't get on their knees. Bad guys take. They don't ask. They seize. They don't wait. Is there a miss? I'm asking you. I'm asking a question. I'm not answering it because I don't know it. I'm observing it right now. I will know it. I am studying this very closely. I'm studying every word that George says. I'm studying how many views it gets. I'm studying the reactions. I'm going to the comments. I'm seeing the feedback from the fans, but I'm close. I'm on to something here. There's something within the character that has made the star of Jorge Masvidal. Something within that is missing and conflicting with itself. And it's hard to find. I've always thought it was a mistake by George to not bring out the BMF belt. Now, now that I know, and I've told you guys, you will never see the BMF belt again. You will never see Masvidal defend that. There's a reason. But it comes back to a smart guy knows what to say, a wise guy knows whether or not to say it. I can't hand away all the secrets of the industry. I can get you very close. There's a reason that belt will never be defended. But I don't like that reason, overly. And even if it's not going to be defended, I think that's even more reason that George should be bringing it out. I think it's more reason George should be putting it up. I think there's something within George that goes, listen, maybe the belt wasn't up, but I lost to Kamara. Kamara's the BMF. Kamara lost it to Leon. Leon's the BMF. I think there's a part of him that believes it. But a bad guy wouldn't care. Bad guys lie. First off, it's not a lie. The belt was not up. George did not lose it. George is the BMF. Secondly, it's very coveted. Third off, it's very beautiful. You will get a fighter to sacrifice, put everything on hold his education, his social and romantic opportunities. He will put everything on hold to have a belt. George has one. I think George should be bringing that out. I think that George should be putting it up. Leon fought for the undisputed belt, which we're told is more coveted. He did it in Utah. It's the truth. George won a BMF belt. He did it in a sold-out Mecca with Washington's most powerful and Hollywood's biggest star in attendance. You tell me what you'd rather have. But moreover, I want to hear it from George. I want to hear George talk about what he's willing to put up. What he's got. What he's not going to ask for, what he's going to go out and take. If you're going to be the bad guy, you got to do bad guy stuff. All right, guys, that's it for today's program. Thank you for listening. And I hope you have a great week consuming all the wonderful UFC 280 content that will keep you satisfied until my official predictions, and those are going to be on Friday. That episode is going to be a must-listen. I'll talk to you all in a few days. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome.